This is a GRDC podcast. Potassium deficiencies, especially through leaching, are becoming more widespread in WA soils and an increasingly prominent issue for growers. Hello, I'm Deborah Bishop. A GRDC investment has enabled long-term field trial investigations into potassium deficiencies involving an impressive collaboration of industry partners. The study is part of the larger crop nutrition project, informing growers with updated guidance on likely responses of wheat to potassium fertiliser and preliminary guidance on potassium levels to target from soil testing. Potassium lost by leaching has also led to a better understanding around fertiliser dynamics and practice, along with the need to, at times, consider changing fertilisers. I spoke to Professor Richard Bell from Murdoch University's Soils West Alliance, and we started the conversation around how prominent potassium deficiency has been in the Western region. It's been an issue that's been around for several decades. Going back to even the 1960s, grain growers who were on deep, poor sands realised that they needed to add potassium in pastures as well as crops. Then by about the 1990s, potassium deficiencies started to emerge on duplex soils. And that led to quite a big investment from GRDC and industry to come up with packages for uh, correcting potassium deficiency on those soils. What we realised a couple of years back was that potassium deficiencies are starting to emerge on loamy soils And so that really is what triggered the uh, GRDC investment in this area. So you've had an issue that's identified for a while, but it's now moving on to the loamy soils. Is that where we're at? Yes, and there are a number of possible explanations, but the simplest one is that we run negative potassium balances in our grain cropping. That is, more comes out in grain than is put back in fertiliser. And in some soils, that's fine as a strategy. If the soil has really high potassium levels, then from an economic point of view, that's quite a rational strategy and will work for quite a long time. But there's a class of loamy soils that probably had moderate reserves of potassium that were sufficient for many years. But when you run negative potassium balances, eventually it'll catch up with you and particularly in places where they grow a lot of hay because the removal of potassium in hay crops is much greater than in grain crops, which is much greater than in grazing situations. So those areas, and we're particularly noticing this in the sort of medium to high rainfall parts of the Avon Valley, good producing land, produces high yields, grows a lot of hay, and we're starting to see emerging potassium deficiencies on those soils that previously farmers probably thought they were okay for potassium. But now that we're looking more deeply into potassium status in those soils, we're seeing the problem emerging and that's what's triggering the research. What exactly are the effects on growers and what are we doing to tackle the problem now that it has become apparent? Probably a lot of growers do apply some potassium but there's still a negative potassium balance. And so the strategies are either to increase potassium fertiliser input or look at how we might reduce losses. And from our research, are also finding that potassium leaching 
is relatively large. And so this will be one of the future areas for research that we're going to have to get a better handle on just how much potassium is being lost by leaching, in what situations and what seasonal conditions. And it might lead eventually to change in fertiliser practice towards more split applications, possibly even new fertiliser products to reduce that loss. Now, tell us a little bit about GRDC's collaboration because there have been quite a few stakeholders involved in this. Mm. Uh, Who are they? Tell us about them. And what are they bringing to the table here to investigate? GRDC has a big investment in crop nutrition. The current tranche of funding is uh, coming towards an end, but it's been a great example of how getting all the key stakeholders together to work on this uh, project can deliver benefits because DPIRD has been a key partner, Murdoch University, UWA, and we've also had great value from our partnership with CSBP and Summit. And that ensures that the people who have expertise in different areas are contributing in their areas of expertise. So here at Murdoch, we've been working with potassium for a number of years, so we've been able to follow on with our understanding and expertise in potassium. Having CSBP and Summit involved is great because they just have a network of growers that we can work with. And they, of course, are talking to growers all the time about the latest findings. And that's what we're all about, uh, where we discover things that are ready to share with growers, that we've got people who are interacting with growers on a regular basis. But we've also had some key consultants. Uh, Tim Boyce has been uh, instrumentalist from AgVivo in identifying a number of his clients who had the right sites to situate our experiments. So with the likes of those on board, as you're saying, CSBP and some fertilisers, and you talked about possibly changing fertiliser practice or changing fertilisers per se, that's part of their specific approach in this project? Indeed, and they generally have a broader program of nutrition research and field experiments that supplements what we're doing in the GRDC investment. So that just adds to a broader body of knowledge so that we have more sites, more seasons and greater confidence in what we're recommending. Now, there have been some fairly long-term field trial investigations and they had delivered some pretty key research findings. Take us through those, Richard. There were three long-term experiments set up and uh, managed by Craig Scanlon and his team at Deepherd. One at Minganu on a deep sand, second one at Broome Hill on a duplex soil and the third one at Esperance. And the findings at the Minganu one were particularly interesting to us because... We had predicted that crop rotations would have an influence on potassium fertiliser response and requirements because roots take up potassium not just from the topsoil that we normally sample, but also from the subsoil. And they incorporate that in their biomass and some of that's removed in grain, but most of it, particularly with cereals, stays in the straw. And of course, that potassium washes out of the straw back into the soil and mostly tops up the topsoil. So if you're only measuring zero to 10 centimetres for soil testing, you may not be noticing that rundown of potassium is occurring in the subsoil. So one of the findings from our research is that you really do need to be looking deeper for soil testing to understand 
what that rundown is below 10 centimetres. But the second thing from the Minganu trial was that they did show that different rotations affect that rundown of potassium and crop response to potassium. So lupin in the rotation, which has deep roots, was recycling more potassium back to the surface than with the cereals. So years three and four in the trials, the response to K after potassium is not as strong as after cereals. So I think that's a significant finding that crop rotations are part of the potassium management strategy. So you're saying look deeper for these potassium deficiencies and that there's some evidence there that that's something that Mm -hmm. growers might need to do. And you're saying that crop rotations can affect the levels. Over what kind of time frame are we talking about there specifically? The rundown of potassium is obviously on the loamy soils a decadal process or multi-decadal process. So grain growers have been cropping land for 20, 30, 40 years, haven't noticed a response to potassium until recently. In terms of the rotation, that's a sort of year-to-year phenomenon because you grow a loop and crop. If it recycles more K back to the surface, then you get the benefit of that the next year. So... Now, growers are always interested to know what they can do to correct the issues that they're finding, the constraints they're experiencing. With the information that you've gleaned so far, how are Western growers able to perhaps correct the deficiencies that they might be identifying? The key message really at present is that negative K balances are going to catch up with you eventually. And I understand that growers are trying to look at the bottom line and maximise profits and Up until now, potassium has tended to be the nutrient that people have used sparingly. So I think one message is that they're going to have to put a bit more potassium on, but researchers need to see if they can find more efficient ways of using that potassium. I mentioned earlier leaching. Our current research, which is not published yet, but the findings look pretty conclusive that there's significant potassium leaching losses and an obvious strategy to deal with that is to split potassium so you don't put it all up front or all in one dose if you split it over a couple of applications then you minimize the loss from leaching but of course there's a cost to putting it on more than once do we have any particular evidence in regard to what crops suffer the potassium deficiency mainly and what regions particularly those crops are in look all crops can suffer from potassium deficiency Lupin is more KU sufficient than the cereals and canola, but it's a matter of doing the soil test and working out whether the level is below the level for that particular crop. So the critical soil test level for potassium for lupins is lower than for wheat. The canola level is perhaps a little bit higher than wheat, but not too much different. So soil testing is still the best guide and today at Research Updates, Dr Miao Miao Cheng's going to talk about some different soil test methods that she's evaluated for potassium. And her conclusion is that the Colwell test is still a pretty good test for farm application of when to apply potassium or not. But what we are finding is that zero to 10 centimetre soil testing is not giving you as much information to make the best decisions as zero to 30. And that is really playing into the same message for soil acidity, soil sulphur, 
and there's even some evidence that soil phosphorus testing to 30 centimetres might give you a better prediction of what the likelihood of response is. Now, growers clearly are always keen to get to that bottom line. Yeah. In a nutshell, who is this research aiming to benefit the most? And the scale of that benefit, Richard, is that measurable at the moment? As I said, there have been many soils, these deep sands and the sandy duplex, where I think growers are well aware that potassium needs to be applied and have been doing that. Perhaps they need to add a little bit more. What's emerged from this research is that there's loamy soils and we've focused on red loamy earth and brown loamy earth and so-called red candesol soils. So these are loamy soils with a red colour. That's the easiest way to recognise them. They cover in the southwest 600,000 hectares and there's probably some other related soils that fit in that same category. Our research has been in the northern Beverly across towards Querreting area, but those sorts of soils occur more extensively. So I think it's a message that probably a lot of growers will need to take on board with their own soil testing or with their advisors, having a closer look at the loamy soils that they previously thought were okay for potassium, looking deeper just to check out that rundown or depletion of subsoil K. On the loamy soils in our experiments, where we've got yield responses, they've been in the order of 0.5 to 1.3 tonnes per hectare. So that's quite a significant yield benefit. But all of our trial work, we have applied the potassium as a top dressing at seeding. And that's probably not the best practice. We just use that as a standard practice for uniformity across the trials. I think the next phase of work will be looking at banding because probably with banding you can apply a lower rate and still provide sufficient for the crop and then split applications would be another way to minimise the risk of leaching but we still don't have the firm recommendations on those practice variations which I think will probably come into play in future. Now, we're focusing on the Western region here with this particular investment of GADC in the project, but are any of your findings or the research relevant to other Australian regions? Indeed. GRDC is also investing in similar work on potassium in the southern region. So Asadi is leading that research in South Australia and they are finding similar things. They're a couple of years behind us in terms of the research, but similar findings, rundown of K and some of the better quality loamy soils. And uh, like us, think that the critical soil test levels for crops on those loamy soils will be a bit higher than on the sands and sandy duplex and that's because as the clay content of the soil increases it does hold on to the potassium a little bit more firmly and so you need a higher soil test level to make sure that there's enough supply to the crop roots to avoid deficiency. So where to now for this research? This particular investment is coming to an end and obviously our main focus now is getting the message out. So grateful for this opportunity to talk about uh, K and at um, GRDC updates. Plus, we'll be putting out other written and online material and publishing uh, papers in peer-reviewed literature so that we're confident of the rigour of the science that underpins the recommendations that we're making. One final takeaway, perhaps, for growers listening in. 
The main thing is you can rely on soil tests, but you need to look deeper. And also that negative potassium balances on soils that only have moderate K reserves, as opposed to very high K reserves, such as the loamy soils, can be sustained for a period of time, but eventually it'll catch up with you, especially in situations where you're producing a lot of hay, because that strips a lot of K out of the soil. So test that soil and dig deeper. Indeed. Richard, thanks for your time. Thank you. We've been listening to Professor Richard Bell from WA's Murdoch University. And you can find more information on the GRDC website. I'm Deborah Bishop, and thanks so much for listening. Listening.